0: Hello, everyone. My name is Ralph Estelle with Eisner Amper, and welcome to Breaking Ground, Eisner Amper's podcast on the real estate market. We are delighted you could join us for our discussion with Michael Wax, the founder and managing principal of Linden Lane Capital Partners. Michael has dedicated his entire career to real estate, starting in banking with a focus on specialized lending and workouts. Later, he became the chief operating officer, principal, and director at a real estate private equity firm, leading the execution of the firm's real estate investment strategies, he then co-founded another company focused on the distressed commercial real estate debt. Finally, he founded Linden Lane Capital Partners, where he has spent the last 13 years identifying and executing investment opportunities across the various asset classes nationwide. Michael, thank you for being here.
1: Ralph, it's a pleasure and looking forward to our conversation.
0: All right, Michael, obviously you have a extensive experience here. You've probably seen a couple downturns. And with your experience in uh, the stressed debt, you probably had a unique viewpoint there. So I'm curious, what do you see for the Philadelphia marketplace in 24?
1: Well, um, I would say, yes, I have lived through several downturns. And I think it it's all really dependent on how the banks treat or how the regulators treat the banks as to how the banks are going to treat their clients as to what opportunities open up with regard to the capital markets. And I don't think Philadelphia is really much different than the country
0: in general. Uh, We've had a number of clients who have wanted to make investments in Philadelphia and unfortunately haven't been able to find any opportunities over the past couple of years, and mostly because the sellers are kind of holding on to that high watermark uh, valuation that they had pre-pandemic and are unwilling to discount prices. Do you think the prices will start to come down? Um,
1: That's, again, dependent on how the capital markets treat the investors, because investors are looking at their investments as a return on a risk adjusted return, and as in real estate is an alternative investment vehicle. So it really depends if there's going to be capital available to them or they have to use more capital as a result. If they want the same return on their equity, it's going to go up unless they can leverage things higher. Um, yeah, I just would to drop back when you talked about Philadelphia. I mean, there's a whole bunch of other factors besides the capital markets. And I didn't really say that, well, Philadelphia is different. And I right. talked about capital markets. I'd also say that, you know, Philadelphia has a significant supply of multifamily coming online this year, which will impact that. We've also got a very high vacancy rate in the office sector, which we have across the country. But I think there's a number of other structural factors outside the capital markets, that will impact where the opportunities are and who gets to benefit and who loses from
0: those opportunities. With the amount of multifamily coming online, do you, you think we're kind of getting to the point where we're oversaturated, especially since if office buildings are are empty, those jobs really aren't, aren't here anymore? Is there a reason to be in Philadelphia?
1: Well, I think and The question is, what does oversaturated mean? I mean, we have, if we just talk about housing, no. I mean, this country is short supply of housing. And while it has been easier to get entitlements and, appro- and, and approvals to build housing in Philadelphia, it's been very difficult in the suburbs. So, you know, when you look at it by a submarket, you might say, well, there's too much product in that submarket. But with multifamily, it's very simple the leases are, you know, a year but they're really in a sense almost like month to month so as the market demand increases rents go up as market demand drops or supply increases okay rents drop so what's going to happen is they'll fill it's just they're going to fill at a different price point than what some of the initial investors underwrote as to what they're
0: you know and well which will
1: impact their returns
0: Your firm has invested in assets via mezzanine financing, rescue capital, and other distressed debt transactions. Uh, What recent trends in both opportunities and transactions have you seen? You're talking about recent trends or just over time? Maybe over time, but especially in the past years. Okay.
1: Well, put it in context. We have always been a value-add, value-creation shop going over the expanse of my entire career. You know, we moved into distressed debt investing at one point, because we saw that was the opportunity to create value. Similarly, back about seven or so years ago, we moved in providing preferred equity and mezzanine financing because, as a risk adjusted return, as opposed to buying the fee interest in the property, we came in with equity below us and we were still getting very good, solid returns, but there was a downside protection that there's someone else's equity underneath us to protect us. Um, the market has changed in the last six months to a year. Uh, again, the, 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 the run-up in interest rates, both on a short-term basis and on the long-term basis, has impacted that financing area that is providing mezz or PREP equity, because it was typically underwritten by us and others who do it as a short-term that is one to three year timeline at which point you were going to be refinanced by a permanent loan and with the run-up of interest rates the permanent loans proceeds aren't sufficient to the underwriting that was done originally to take out uh, that measure pref and sometimes today to even take out the original construction loan so that you know, so that that I don't think the same business
0: model that was applied over the last five years can be applied going forward. So that's um, for mezzanine funding and risk capital. But what about the stress debt? Do you see any um, assets kind of coming onto the market where it's just they can't refinance and there's an opportunity to maybe take a fee interest in it that at a, at a bargain price? Do you see any of that?
1: Well, no one knows what a bargain price is until (laughs) years later when you go, they look back and they go, wow, we got a bargain. You know, things trade at a market price. No one is stealing anything. Okay. And, um, you know, that said, I don't, I get, you know, my opening comment about what the the regulators do to the banks is how the banks will treat the borrowers. In the first recession I went through in, it was a banking crisis back in the early 90s, the regulators put a lot of pressure on the banks to get these assets off their books, and they sold them at deep discounts. Now, at the time, no one realized what deep discount was until years later, looking back, they did. The last time around, it was, you know, uh, in the late, in the mid-2000s, it was, they used to call it pretend and extend. And so the banks didn't have the same type of regulatory pressure. As a result, they kept lending or kept their loans on the books as long as the borrowers could service the debt, they would restructure them and rewrite them. We're just at the beginning now of this cycle in terms of how are the banks going to deal with it. And there are a significant number of folks who have done repositioning or ground up construction loans. Let's just take multifamily, for instance, okay, since there seems to be more of that than anything else in our, in our market. And they get they've gotten to the point now where they underwrote an a interest rate on a takeout that is now three hundred, four hundred basis points higher. As a result, the loan on the takeout doesn't repay the lender, the construction lender. And the real question will will the construction lender how will they deal with that? Or how will the borrowers deal with that in terms of are they gonna have to come up with capital? Okay, which is where we go with You know, where's the opportunity and that it could be that all these people that raise distressed debt funds and the other platforms that are providing um, financing capital to the real estate industry, they may be now stepping in and there may be a there's a good side amount of liquidity on the sidelines. And that liquidity may go into those kinds of whatever you want to call them, bridge financing, be in between the new loan. And the equity, with the hope on their repayment that the values will increase over time or interest rates will drop again, allowing the sponsor to refinance, or they simply step into the equity position and the sponsor ultimately loses more money down the road, but maybe not
0: this week. Kicking the kicking the can down the road there for a little bit. Um, all right. So you just completed a project in Cal Street, and I think you just said you started another one. How are the how are those projects going? Um,
1: well, our first project's 181 units, and um, we are just finishing that up. It's coming along well, although slowly. Uh, we had some issues with equipment um, getting delivered and um, some other issues that have pushed us a little further down the road. But at the same time, we feel confident enough in the in the neighborhood and that particular submarket despite all of the um, product coming online across the city of Philadelphia, that we started another project a block away at 12th and Hill. that's 144 units. Um, and so that actually just started construction last week.
0: Were there any issues that you ran into that were kind of unique to Philadelphia?
1: I don't know if they're
0: unique to Philadelphia, but in terms of
1: where, because it has a, as a city and developing the city. But I think that um, Philadelphia has a, has had a difficult. Um, it's a difficult process to to get through. The suburbs are difficult too, but in a different way. In the city, there are rules laid out. You're supposed to, you know, step on first base, then second base, and if you do all that, you go around the bases. The problem is getting around the bases can take you significantly longer than you would originally think they should. So I would say the you know the approval process here is can be difficult different than the suburbs. and the suburbs, there's no clear path, you know, depending on the municipality and whatever, and those projects can get held up as well. The city just has, uh, you know, look, there's a new administration, and they just got sworn in. Uh, Cheryl Parker, we're really looking forward to her taking over and to her administration, and we are like to see them, you know, start to correct
0: some of those internal issues to make doing business in Philadelphia easier. What opportunities are you seeing in the future for multifamily or office space in the city?
1: Let's start with uh, office first. Um, I I think that, you know, as we said, I think today in the Wall Street Journal, there's an article that across the board, like one-fifth of all commercial office space is vacant across the country. Philadelphia is no exception. Um, You know, and then the region. Um, Philadelphia... You know, with the after COVID, et cetera, um, you know, people coming back to the office has been tough. Um, but we've just seen in Philadelphia, you know, Parkway has done a phenomenal job during COVID, actually before COVID, after, sorry, they started after COVID, building a new office building for Morgan Lewis. Okay. And then they just started a second office building for Chubb. That's brand new office space designed, you know, it's new, it's exciting, it's it's great. So it's it's... That is the future of office. That is, I think, maybe it's a little bit under demolished as opposed to overdeveloped. But I think you're going to see more specialty buildings. I mean, um, that give the amenities and the things people want to enjoy working there because companies are going to pay more for rent to lure their people back so that it doesn't impact their corporate culture. That's a whole other discussion other time. The the on the the red on the multi side, there's a lot of product coming along this year. I don't think that there's a lot of opportunities for other people who have not broken ground to build new this year, but I do think that there will be a lot of opportunity for value add uh, investors to take over projects from other um, sponsors, who, like I said, underwrote to a different. You know, world, and there's been a paradigm shift, and they now will have to get out. And so there'll be some winners and some losers on that. And I think, um, you know, and the question is, how big will those winners and losers be with all the capital that's sitting on the sideline that's going to come in here? So that may be the savior for a lot of these sponsors that now have projects that they either started that they built and now are trying to fill or that they bought and they repositioned. With the idea to pay off the bridge loan and put permanent financing on, so
0: you know, I don't, I don't think it's been written yet. I guess the big question is going to be, what is that? What is that bargain price, right? And no one knows. All right. Um, thank you, Michael, for taking the time to share with our audience, and thank you for our listeners for and thank you to our listeners for joining us on this episode of Breaking Ground. Subscribe to stay notified of new releases and listen to past episodes for more insights to the real estate industry.